Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Welcome back to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. I'm Audrey Rinlisbacher, author of The Mission Driven Life and founder of The Mission Driven Mom. I'm so excited you've chosen to join us today. Wanted to make mention, if you've not heard, we've taken our MDM celebration this year online due to COVID complications that were just insurmountable. And we've extended the early bird sale for all those who are can now come because they're at a distance. And so that's going to be 30% off. We also dropped the price, $30 a ticket. So it went from 79 to 49 and you get another 30% off that. So it's pretty inexpensive to join us. And you can, for not very much, you can add the recordings as well and have those for a lifetime. We are going to spend the day talking about being mothers of vision. I want to do an extended podcast on some of the things that I've been learning um, in addition to what I've been practicing for the last several years. But I just mentioned one thing here. These principles of envisioning are so absolutely critical. And having a vision, moving forward with intention, being clear about that tra- how that translates into daily behavior, understanding the envisioning process and just living these principles. It's something that's really pushed and focused on in the business world, but it, I just don't feel like the whole motherhood community really focuses on this. One of the things that I've heard from a lot of students in the MDM Academy is how they appreciate how intentional it helps them to become in their life, in their thoughts, in their emotions, in their actions. And, and, you know, when you're all done with level one, you write a mission statement. It just is a focus on being more directed and intentional. Our Mothers of Vision MDM celebration this year is really going to just be that on steroids. We're going to do a really deep dive into understanding how all of this works. We're going to start with a vision walk to get more clarity. We're going to translate that into outcomes and true statements. And we're going to look at how we can overcome obstacles. We're going to turn it into daily habits. We're going to put accountability around it. It's just going to be incredible. I've got some extra mentoring that you can add on that we'll do for two months to help this vision become a reality. Even more so, I've been working on 60 empowering journaling questions that you'll get asked every day for those 60 days, and then some additional readings and tools. And then um, every other week, we'll get together and meet in a group and go over some additional tools. And it's just going to be phenomenal. So I hope you'll join us. The sale is going to end tomorrow. So you may want to take advantage of that 30% off. It brings the price down to like $35 or something. I don't even know. And we're still going to do our award ceremony. So you'll get to hear from all of our students and the experiences that they're having. And I can just tell you from my own personal experience that these principles have really revolutionized my life. They made it possible for me to see myself differently, to manage my home differently, to overcome a lot of fears and doubts that I was having 
And really, I mean, without them, I could never have built MDM. And so I just want to share them with you. You're going to know some of what we go over, but I hope you see it in a new light and you're definitely going to learn some really new things and detailed strategies that I've come across that are going to be really, really helpful. So please consider joining us. Now's the time to do it if you're thinking about it uh, because that sale will end tomorrow. So just a few thoughts there. Today we're going to talk about Law 2, Principle 3, Uncover and Develop Your God-Given Gifts. Throughout the year, we've been walking through these laws and principles from my book, The Mission-Driven Life, and we are now to this third principle of Law 2, Love Yourself. And of course, you know, I was thinking about this podcast, and kind of the first thing that came to my mind was, who doesn't want to discover and develop their gifts? Like, do I really even need a whole podcast on it? Like, obviously, we all want to be special. We all want to be unique. We all want to do something important. That's, you know, that's just part of how God made us. But I found that it's much more complicated than that, especially, well, for me personally, some some big obstacles I had to overcome in really accepting myself and I'll talk about that in a minute. But also, I see this as a real problem for women and mothers to have a focus in this way, to be willing to make the time for it. And I just hope in the next few minutes to convince you that you are smarter than you think, you're more gifted than you think, you can do more than you think, and you really can love life even more. You can bring more positive energy into your home. There can be so much more of you if you will take this principle really seriously, take it to heart and take action on it. So I'm going to start with a story from my favorite book, The Hiding Place. And if you've read The Mission Driven Life, you know that I tell a lot of stories from their family. The new edition that will come out And it's been pushed back because the printer is so far out. But we're going to get that new version printed as quickly as we can and get it to you. But if you're familiar with it, we've added more to it. And I've added more stories in this new version, which is really, really fun. But I do mention this story, but I want to read it to you from the book so you get all of the awesome details around it. This is Corey talking about her life for about the 20 years before World War II hit. She has an older brother and sister who have married and moved away from home, but she and the sister just older than her, Betsy, never left home. They never married, and they have stayed and lived with their father. They have a couple aunts that are still there, or maybe one. Their mother has passed away. She was ill for the last part of her life, and now Corey dives into kind of the next thing that happened in their home. It was in late November that year that a common cold made a big difference. Betsy began to sniff and sneeze, and Father decided that she must not sit behind the cashier's table where the shop door let in the raw winter air. But Christmas was coming, the shop's busiest time. With Betsy bundled up in bed, I took to running down to the shop as often as I could to wait on customers and wrap packages and save Father clambering up and down from his tall workbench a dozen times an hour. Tante Anna, that's one of the aunts, insisted she could cook and look after Betsy. So I settled in behind Betsy's table, writing down sales, 
and repair charges, recording cash spent for parts and supplies, and leafing through past records in growing disbelief. There was no system anywhere. So she starts asking a lot of questions and getting to the bottom of things, and she goes on to say, I developed a system of billing, and increasingly, my columns of figures began to correspond to actual transactions, and increasingly, I discovered that I loved it. I had always felt happy in this little shop with its tiny voices and shelves of small, shining faces, but now I discovered that I liked the business side of it, too. Liked catalogs and stock listings, liked the whole busy, energetic world of trade. Every now and then when I remembered that Betsy's cold had settled in her chest and threatened, as hers always did, to turn into pneumonia, I would reproach myself for being anything but distressed at the present arrangement. And at night, when I would hear the hard, racking cough from her bedroom below, I would pray with all my heart for her to be better at once. And then one evening, two days before Christmas, when I closed up the shop for the night and was locking the hallway door, Betsy came bursting in from the alley with her arms full of flowers. They had a door, uh, an exterior door that led out to the alley. So she's been out shopping (laughs) for flowers. Her eyes, when she saw me there, were like a guilty child's. For Christmas, Corey, she pleaded. We have flowers. We have to have flowers for Christmas. Betsy Tenboom, I exploded. How long has this been going on? No wonder you're not getting better. I've stayed in bed most of the time, honestly. She stopped while great cough shook her. I've only got up for really important things. I put her to bed and then prowled the rooms with new opened eyes, looking for Betsy's, quote, important things. How little I had really noticed about the house. Betsy had wrought changes everywhere. I marched back up to her room and confronted her with the evidence. Was it important, Betsy, to rearrange all the dishes in the corner cupboard? She looked up at me, and her face went red. Yes, it was, she said defiantly. You just put them in in any old way. And the door to Tante John's room. Someone's been using paint remover on it and sandpaper, too, and that's hard work. But there's beautiful wood underneath. I just know it. For years, I've wanted to get that old varnish off and see... Oh, Corey, she said, her voice suddenly small and contrite. I know it's horrid and selfish of me when you've had to be in the shop day after day, and I will take better care of myself so you won't have to do it much longer. But, oh, it's been so glorious being here all day, pretending I was in charge, you know, planning what I'd do. And so it was out. We had divided the work backwards. It was astonishing once we made the swap how well everything went. The house had been clean under my care, but under Betsy's it glowed. She saw beauty in wood, in pattern, in color, and helped us see it too. The small food budget, which had barely survived my visits to the butcher and disappeared altogether at the bakery, stretched under Betsy's management to include all kinds of delicious things that had never been on our table before. Just wait till you see what's for dessert this noon, she'd tell us. At the breakfast table and all morning in the shop, the question would simmer in the back of our minds. Meanwhile in the shop, I was finding joy in work that I'd never dreamed of. I soon saw that I wanted to do more than wait on customers and keep the accounts. I wanted to learn watch repair itself. Father eagerly took on the job of teaching me. 
I eventually learned the moving and stationary parts, the chemistry of oils and solutions, tool and grind wheel and magnifying techniques. But Father's patience, his almost mystic rapport of the harmonies of watchworks, these were not things that could be taught. Wristwatches had become fashionable, and I enrolled in a school which specialized in this kind of work. Three years after Mama's death, I became the first licensed woman watchmaker in Holland. So I wanted to tell that story. There are so many other stories I could tell, and I'll refer you to a few. But this is because, <laughs> you remember in the middle of the story when Betsy says, oh, I know, I've been so selfish working on the house while you were down there in the shop. Because that's how she felt about being in the shop. She's a good woman. She wants to do what's right. She felt it was her duty. She was older. She started doing that work sooner. And the jobs had just fallen on them just as they fell. But as soon as they did any experimenting at all, as soon as they started thinking outside of the box, instead of trudging along and thinking that more self-sacrifice was the answer, they discovered that they could both have a lot of joy in their daily tasks. That they could find ways to do things that they absolutely loved while letting other people do things that they loved. So it's... I think an important lesson for us as mothers to remember that there is so much more that we can discover about ourselves and that there are really creative ways that we can go about organizing our lives such that we get to do more of what we want to do and we can still be really stellar moms. Now I know as well as anyone that Honest-hearted women hear things like, you know, you should develop your talents and you should, you know, discover your gifts. You should, you know, take classes, all this kind of thing. And they think, you know, I don't want to leave my family in the dust. I want to still be a good mom. All I ever wanted to do was be a mom. I really want to be a good mom. Of course you do. Of course you do because you're a good woman. Of course that's what you want. You want the right things. But there's a couple things to keep in mind. One is the example that you're setting. If all you ever do is helicopter mom and hover over your little kiddos and not do things for yourself and not develop yourself, you're not setting a very great example for your kids of what womanhood and motherhood are. And, you know, if you read anything on this subject, you'll see that we're just raising generations that are just more and more selfish because moms, even moms that go to work, tend to come home and hover over their children to such a degree that those kids just think the world revolves around them and they're not given enough responsibility and they're not challenged and they don't have to do hard things. I mean, I, I'm prepping for this Grandma Moses podcast that's gonna come out soon. And she's talking about her grandfather. This is in, mm, I guess, the late 1700s, because she was born in the 1800s. Anyway, her grandfather is 11 years old, and both his parents die of the fever. So he places his, I think, three or four younger siblings in the homes of neighbors, and he walks the entire day across the country alone, 
across the countryside to find his uncle. And when he gets there, the uncle has just died. And the mother with her three or four small children is weeping over the plow because they need to eat and she needs to garden and she can't, doesn't have enough strength to pull the plow and she's just distraught. So, so this 11-year-old boy gets the plow and spends the rest of the day and evening plowing for her and then goes back and ends up spending the next several years helping to take care of this widow and her children in addition to trying to care for these other, his younger siblings that he's left with neighbors in this other town. I mean, kids can do hard, hard things. And we, we coddle them and we make it too easy on them. If you've ever read Do Hard Things, and I think I've mentioned this before, at the beginning of that book, they talk about some studies where, you know, articles about how to parent your kids and having them, you know, when they're 13 or 14, they can clean their room on their own, you know, and if you let them drive the car, you know, then tell them they have to put gas in. It's like, honestly, they can do so much more and we need to challenge them. We need to give them more to do. And I'm just as guilty as you. I think about these three kids I have at home and we're very comfortable. And so there's not always as much work for them to do as I'd like there to be. So I try to do service and I get the challenge, but guess what? If it's already easy and then you're making it easier, well then where's their stamina gonna come from? How are they gonna have the courage and the and the strength to do hard things and face life's trials? And you know, um, I, in fact, I was just watching a Jordan Peterson video on this the other day and he was talking about, it's called eating your children or something like that. And he was talking about how so many people just have one child because they're the golden child and there's not any more of them then they just pamper and coddle them and and then those kids stay at home indefinitely all through their you know into their adult years into their 20s and 30s and they just don't have to take care of themselves and they need to go out there into the world and take care of themselves now a while ago i put a post in our mission driven mom mastermind facebook group and i simply asked the question of the moms what is your greatest strength now, some women were honest and they told us what some of their strengths were, but I got the same kind of answers that I get and I tell stories about, about this that I've seen it at play in so many different circumstances and environments where women struggle to see what they're good at. They struggle to be honest about their gifts and talents and they shy away from really being honest about that and declaring them. So some of the, some of the, moms in the group said things like this. I don't really know. I'm uncomfortable talking about this because it seems wrong to focus on my strengths. How can I be righteous and overcome my weaknesses if I'm focused on my talents? And maybe my greatest strength is to see my weaknesses. All right, so let's get into it. <laughs> I've already given you some reasons why it's really important for you to not helicopter mom and not just do mommy land. Now I want to attack this other paradigm that a lot of women have, that it is wrong, somehow wrong, somehow morally wrong to focus on your strengths. Now I'm gonna admit, I'll be the first to admit, I get what goes on out there. I see the women power, the girl power, 
the exclusiveness because of the feminist movement that you can have women's organizations, but you can't have men's organizations and women are infiltrating men's organizations. Um, I see, you know, really egotistical, prideful women. I see women ignoring their families to celebrate themselves and their own accomplishments. I get that. I know that that's what you're shying away from. You don't want to be in that camp. You don't want to be seen as one of those women that, you know, is just all about herself and bragging and leaving her family in her dust and not being a good mom. Totally get that. But I want, I want to ask you a follow-up question to this. Why did God give you gifts? Okay. Now, I didn't say anything about bragging about your gifts or going around telling everyone how wonderful you are. I just said you ought to discover and develop them. It's like the saying that all evil needs is for enough good people to stay silent. It's the same idea here with uncovering and developing our God-given gifts. Years ago, I was really struggling, and I, I talk about this, I think, in one of probably a podcast, probably in the academy. You know, you never know when you are talking a lot about stuff <laughs> when you've said it. But I was struggling with jealousies. I was comparing myself a lot. And I just fundamentally didn't believe that the, the way that I was was acceptable to God. Like, I, I was trying very hard to be obedient. And I was trying very hard to be a good woman. But I looked around at what other women did that I thought was like ideal or whatever. And I would feel jealous and I would have self-doubts and I would think that I wasn't good enough and I would think that I should be like them and do the kinds of things that they did. And uh, really struggled with self-acceptance because, you know, I'm not outgoing and I'm not always super duper friendly and I'm pretty, you know, cerebral and, and abstract thinking by nature. And I have all these other ways of being that seemed like, you know, the right way to be was to sew things and or to take casseroles or to work in soup kitchens. And those are wonderful things to do. And I've done those things. But it's funny because I look back now and I always was in a place of service. You know, like I've taught so many classes for free and like I've had so many people reach out to me and be like, I can't believe all the free stuff you get away, give away with the podcast every week and, and the discounts and the inexpensive programs and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't ever really see that as service because it was just me. It's funny because my husband has said the same kind of thing, you know, that for many years he fought up an uphill battle in a career that he didn't really love and that he wasn't intuitively good at because he felt like, oh, well, that's the grind, right? Like that's the price we got to pay. That's what hard work means. And as soon as he got into an arena that just came naturally to him, it almost didn't seem fair. Like, wow, I just, I'm just going to do this other thing now and it's going to come pretty easily and I'm just going to kind of naturally be good at it and I'm just going to make money and not nearly, you know, as much time. Well, yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah. And so what I want to emphasize here, so I had this problem with, with myself and through a series of experiences with some of the books that are in the academy and some personal experiences, I was at a retreat and I, 
I had this moment. I was journaling about a bunch of questions. And I had this moment where I just felt like God was saying to me, I made you the way I did for a reason. And I had never had that thought before. Like, I made you this way for a very special reason. Now, of course, we don't want to confuse our, you know, our weaknesses. I'm not exactly sure how to put this. We all have faults, okay, and weaknesses. We all have ways that we could live principles better. We all have ways that we could sharpen up our thinking and we could manage ourselves better. You know, all the principles that I talk about in the book and in the academy. Of course, that's a lifelong pursuit. But some of that, maybe in certain instances, much of that gets a whole lot easier when we begin to have true self-acceptance. When we begin to recognize that God has placed certain ways of being, certain interests, talents, and default behaviors. He's placed those in our hearts for a reason. And when, when I had this insight, when, I mean, this really profound principle and truth really distilled on my mind and heart and I accepted it, suddenly I saw myself in a completely new light. Instead of me constantly thinking, well, I should be more like that because look at these outcomes she's getting and and look how much better her life is in these certain ways or whatever the case was. Suddenly I started thinking in terms of, well, if I, if I was like that, I wouldn't be able to do this and I, and I wouldn't be so good at that. And I, at the time, I had just finished creating a program called Principles of Liberty and I had been speaking at rallies and on the radio and, and traveling and, and, and teaching principles of government and economics to lots and lots of people and I'd created this program, um, which actually, by the way, people have been asking for recently, so I think we're going to make it available again. Um, and all of a sudden I thought, you know, if I was extroverted, it wouldn't be as easy for me to go into a quiet space and study for long periods of time. If I wasn't abstract thinking, I couldn't hone in on what these principles are because they're a very abstract idea and I couldn't make the kinds of connections that I make and I couldn't teach the kinds of things that I teach and people seem to benefit from it. And and so I don't, it was just very revolutionary. And I hope that that principle is something that you'll really, really ponder for yourself. That God made you a a certain way for a reason. Now you're human. You're going to bump up against life. You're going to struggle with resentments. You're going to struggle to control your thoughts. You're going to struggle to meet your needs. Of course, you know, that's a struggle for all of us. And understanding those principles and making conscious efforts to align ourselves with them is critical. But when you accept yourself, like, not like, well, I'm just a yeller, so that's what I'm going to do is go scream at everybody all the time. Or I'm just, you know, whatever. I don't mean accept, 
you know, unprincipled bad stuff about yourself. I mean, accept the way you see the world, what your natural gifts are, your just natural way of being. Are you funny? Are you quiet? Are you empathic? Are you neighborly? Are you clean? What are those things about you? Because I promise you, they can be used to bless others. And if you have the perception and the paradigm that they're God-given, if you recognize that he's placed certain desires and interests in your heart so that you could be of use to others in certain specific ways, that you could be his instrument to do work for him, then so many things shift. Your energy becomes positive and optimistic. You engage on a journey to discover these things about yourself, to excitedly pursue and develop them, to share them with your family, to do the same thing for your children. And, and in, in the academy, we do these cycles and every cycle you have a self-discovery section where you take certain tests and do certain activities specifically because we want you to start looking at yourself in all kinds of new revolutionary ways. And this is why it's so good to think about your strengths because that is how God can use you. That is how he intends for you to touch his children and bless and uplift them, whether it's through music, whether, I mean, I'll never forget. I don't even know if this lady still has this website, but there used to be this website called Fly Lady and she was just a clean freak. And do you know how many people's lives she revolutionized? Because she just gave all these tips. She had this little program for the first thing that you did was get your kitchen sink clean. You know, if your house was just a total nightmare, then you would just try for a week to keep your kitchen sink clean. And she knew that small baby steps would develop discipline and confidence that would lead to other things. And she just had, you just don't even know. You don't even know how you may be able to bless others with your unique gifts and talents. And if you have the paradigm that God made you that way for a reason, and he wants to partner with you, and he wants you to develop those things while still striving to live in a principle-centered way, you can really be unstoppable for, for good. I mean, you can reach people who, you know, in, in your specific area. I'll never forget when my daughter's a gymnast and Gabby Douglas had this interview and she just talked about how she had just been able to get to, to where she got in the Olympics with God's help because of, because of Jesus. She's a Christian. And then last year, my daughter and I read Simone Biles' the autobiography she put out after her first Olympics. And she talks all about, you know, their family's spiritual culture and, and how God helped her. And, of, and they just were out there being gymnasts, but they're, they're lifting people up. And they're glorifying God with their gifts. And they're strengthening other people's faith. You know, you can do this in film. You can do it in construction. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you do. And so as women, we really have this struggle. And I know it, be, it comes from the best place inside us, that we're teachable, that we're humble, that we don't want to be seen as these, you know, like... <laughs> trampling on other people, leaving our families behind, all that kind of thing. And, and, and it's tough. It's tough to be you because the world tells you you should be somebody else. 
But Max Lucado said something really beautiful. He said, if you're not you, we don't get you, and the world misses out. It's just one you. And the best thing you can do for yourself and for your family and for the world is to be you, to the very best of your ability, to recognize that God glories in who he, he, cre in who he created, that you're his daughter, and that he, he wants you to be the best you. And that does mean aligning your life with principles. But see, all of this can be seen from a positive frame of reference. We don't even have to think in terms of like, well, I've got this weakness and I've got to beat it down and I've really got to overcome it. We can think in terms of, okay, so here's this principle. I, I want to find a way to live it better. And we can think in terms of, okay, so these are my gifts. I want to find a way to develop it to a greater degree and then work with God to figure out how it could bless more of his children how I could use it to serve. And then take your children with you. Let them watch you striving to glorify God. I mean, what, what better example can you give them? So my experience, and I want to just finish up with this. I'll never forget sometime in my mid-20s. I, <laughs> I went through high school. I didn't know what I was good at. I went to college. I didn't really know what I was good at. Art history was interesting. I was interested in culture. I studied some stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I went to Europe and, and, and served some time um, doing missionary activities. But really, not a really strong sense of self. And you know, I do think looking back now that the confidence that I did have at the time, even though I just had a long way to go, what confidence I did have came from the fact that I really did try to stay close to God and honor his laws. But anyway, so a friend said to me in passing, you know, you're really articulate. And I hadn't really had someone tell me that that way. And it just really got me thinking. I didn't really quite understand what she meant. And then later on, I started to realize I was kind of interested in writing, and I, I started to write a little bit. Then I found this little liberal arts college, and I, I wanted to do something just for me, and, I, and, I, and I, I'll outline all this in the, in the first chapter of my book. But basically, I ran across this quote from this great man that I respected, and he said that, there's no greater investment a family can make than the in the education of the mother. And so that gave me emotional permission to work on my own education. And so we put a little time and money toward that. My husband was always very supportive. And then as I grew in that little school, then others saw leadership capabilities in me. And I had more opportunities. I started a little book club. I loved learning. I loved re reading the great books. And I just was drawn to it. Like as soon as I knew what they were going to read, I just knew that's what I wanted. But I searched for almost a year, prayerfully looking around at different options and, you know, thinking about what, what, what could I do that would be just for me while I still stay home and try to be a really great mom. And so then I started teaching and writing curriculum and speaking. And I realized that I love making connections and having quiet time and space to myself. And then for many years, I just found little spaces of time. I, I asked my husband, I complained a lot that I didn't have enough time, that I wished I had more time to do the stuff that I wanted to do, but I wasn't willing to sacrifice being a mom. And I really felt strongly about homeschooling and 
and not every kid every year all the time, but like we would do a lot of alternative stuff and we struggled financially. I mean, we had all our troubles and so it was just tough to find time. One activity that I would often do is I would sit down with a, a notebook and I would journal about the question, what can only I do as a wife and a mother? So I would, you know, my life would get cluttered and busy and then I would try to back off of that and ask myself, what can only I do? Like only I can have a bonded close relationship with each one of my children. Only I could like teach these certain subjects in homeschool, for example. Only I can, you know, mentor this child and this or that. So there were those things that I would write down. But for example, changing a diaper or cooking dinner or cleaning a bathroom, those are things that other people could do. And so I tried to reassign those tasks. And so the fact that I was actively developing my gifts and I went through this process and it also was because of this process that I was able to finally learn to accept myself and to see that God had made me a certain way for a very important reason and that I had better stop fighting him and get serious about being the best me I could be because it wasn't doing either of us any favors for me to beat myself up and fight against how he'd made me. So because I had these interests and because these opportunities were opening up to me, I had to find a way to balance my time better. And I had to learn to put off some interests, but to make what was most important, important to talk to my husband more and to talk to my kids more and to reassign responsibilities. And my children got to watch me develop as a person and see that you know, personal growth is a lifelong pursuit. They got to watch me have positive impact on the lives of people outside our home. And it's funny because I look back now and I think, oh, you know, I, I often will say, oh, we should have served more, all that kind of stuff. But honestly, I it was just always service. <laughs> like That's always what I was doing. I don't think my family has ever benefited one penny really from anything that I ever engaged in on the side. It was just what I felt like God wanted me to do. And so at one point I also sat my husband down. I thought he would be a good checkpoint for me. So I said, you know, I want to do this stuff. I'm trying to make time. If you feel like I'm out of balance, will you please sit me down and honestly let me know, you know, you're, you're spending too much time on that. And there were a handful of occasions where we had that kind of conversation and I had to be honest and I had to rein it in a little bit. But striving for that balance was really good for us because it kept me from being a helicopter mom. And you know what? As my children started to leave home, it meant that my life stayed rich and full because I had these talents that I developed in just little slices of time while my kids were growing up that now I could manifest in a fuller and fuller to a fuller and fuller degree. And now my youngest is 12 and my you know, third is going to leave home in the next year. I mean, my fourth is going to leave home in the next year. And so they're kind of leaving the nest, but I don't feel left behind. I know that there's still a lot of life on the other side of mothering. And I'm excited to fill it up with, of course, children and grandbabies and all the fun family stuff, but also just a lot of me doing, serving more in ways that I feel God would want me to serve because he made me a certain way that I should glory in because he doesn't make mistakes. There's a podcast called What Garden is Inside You that you might want to listen to that talks about a mom who uses her gifts and develops them and brings her family along with her developing herself and showing her family that she could use her gifts to serve the community while still being an awesome mom. 
I'm going to release soon this Grandma Moses podcast, which I think you'll really enjoy. And there's Mission Driven Mom podcasts that we're starting to release based on these interviews that we do in our Facebook Lives. So I would encourage you to just start listening more and more to, to these stories of moms today who are trying to do this and trying to find a balance, who don't want to be on one or the other extreme, who don't want to be the helicopter mom, but also don't want to be the abandoned my family mom. <laughs> and you've, you've got to remember that the more of you you are, the more your family can love and enjoy you, the more positive energy and optimism you will bring into your home. And some of these things that have been a battle, the way that you're talking about yourself to other people, the way that you're talking about yourself to yourself, some of that will begin to soften and go away as you nurture the best that's in you and as you watch yourself flourish in ways that God wants you to. So I want you to do three things. The first thing is, I know that you know that there's one thing you want to learn or try or do, one class you want to take, one lesson you've always wanted to have, there's something. I want you to give yourself permission to do it. And I want you, secondly, to flesh out an hour a day. Maybe two. Two would be optimal. But at least an hour a day where you're going to give yourself permission to develop this. Now, you can do it right there with your kids in tow. They can be having quiet time if they're little or nap time. They can be running around and playing outside. They can be doing your housework while you answer questions. They could even be doing their quiet study time. It could be after they're in bed at night, if you do some work during the day, then after they've gone to bed, you give yourself at least half an hour to an hour to work on something that you love doing. It will rejuvenate you. It will restore confidence. Think about a time when you did something well that you love doing. And think about how you felt in that moment. You just felt alive. You felt good about yourself. You liked being you. So you just want to get yourself in that space more often, daily if possible, weekly at minimum, where you're doing the something that you really love doing and you do it better and better over time. And then your children get to watch you develop talents and it gives them permission to develop their talents. And I want you, while you're doing this, to ask yourself empowering questions. I don't want you to say like, that's too hard, Audrey. I can't do it. I can't make time. It's never going to work. I want you to ask, I want you to ask yourself empowering questions. It's a huge thing we focus on at the Mission Driven Mom. I've got, um, I think there's podcasts about it. There's, it's definitely in the academy. But I want you to ask, how am I going to make this happen? How can I develop a gift that I'm interested in developing? What kind of positive impact would it have on my family with I, when, I, when I do this? How will it bless them? How will it enrich our relationships? Ask yourself positive, uplifting, empowering questions and watch because the answers will come. You are a problem-solving being and when you ask yourself questions, they must be answered. So ask yourself empowering questions and you'll find empowering answers. And then I would love for you to come to the Facebook group and tell us what you're working on. You could do it in the, um, in the comments below this post in the Facebook group, or you could just share a separate post 
uh, whatever suits you best. If you've got pictures, we'd love to hear about it. But you are no better and no worse and no more or less needy than anybody else in your family. You all have gifts. You all need to uncover them. You all need to develop them because they come from God. They're his gift to you. And they're your opportunity to shine and to bless his children. So remember that he made you the way he made you for specific reasons. And you are unique and you are special. And he intends for you to focus on your strengths and develop them to be put to use, to good use, to bless others. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you don't have a copy of my life, the mission, my, the book, The Mission Driven Life, you can get a copy over at themissiondrivenmom.com. We would love to have you tell us how it's blessing your life or what you're learning about yourself from the book, from the Facebook group. If you're not a member of the Facebook group, please join us there and tell us all the wonderful, unique things about yourself that you're going to begin working on and developing. See you next time.